missile program, an experienced army. If the U.S. engages in a military clash with Iran, it could be costly. This will not be like our, uh, our actions in Iraq, in Afghanistan, or in Syria. This is a conflict on an entirely different scale with a highly sophisticated, well-trained and well-armed uh, adversary. An adversary that would almost certainly turn to guerrilla tactics early on. Military analysts say Iran could stage attacks such as those last year on tankers in the Strait of Hormuz and Saudi oil fields. The U.S. blamed Iran for those hits. Iran denied it. But world oil markets were briefly rocked nonetheless. And bigger attacks could undeniably create larger shocks. Or Iran could call on its many allies in the region to carry its fight against America. Shia militias, Hezbollah, Hamas, the Houthis, groups that could use Iranian intelligence, logistics, weapons, and more to launch terror strikes on U.S. allies, embassies, military bases, American officials, or even private citizens abroad or at home. There is a network of uh, Iranian uh, uh, elements within the United States that the FBI is watching. In terms of sheer firepower, Iran is no match for the U.S., which has more warships, planes, helicopters, tanks, and active troops. They know that if we go all the way up the escalation ladder, you know, our capabilities, our air force, our naval capabilities will destroy theirs. They're much happier playing at a lower level, sort of the asymmetric level. But when and how and aimed at which targets? All we know for sure is that the Iranians are promising a response to the killing of that top-level military leader. Definitely there will be a revenge. There will be a harsh revenge. Uh, uh, Iran will, uh, will act uh, based on its own choosing. And the White House? We will respond with great force and great vigor if the Iranian leadership makes a bad decision. Iran, the power behind terrorism in the Middle East and beyond. Welcome to Training Tuesday here on the Rob Manus Show at the Red Voice Media Network. We're live, and we're live on X Spaces with our simulcast. simulcast. So we welcome our live audience over there and look forward to your questions and engagement. Well, folks, the United States and Iran relationship is has a long-term historical place in both governments, and it hasn't always been adversarial like it is today and has been for the last 45 years or so. Unfortunately, chants of death to America and that America is the great Satan can still be heard in the Iranian parliament, a body completely controlled like the rest of the Iranian government by Shia Muslim mullahs led by the Ayatollah. The Iranian government is known to be behind Hamas in Gaza and the West Bank, Hezbollah in Lebanon, and the Iranian militias across Syria, Iraq, and the rest of the Middle East. And with more than 60 attacks on U.S. forces by those militias in Iraq and Syria, Iran is doing everything it can, it appears, to widen the war beyond Gaza and to pull the U.S. into it along with what's happening to Israel already. This threat of an Iranian war against the U.S. was predictable as that cold open video you just saw was from three years ago. But is the prediction unfolding before us today? Well, it certainly looks like it to me, but my guest today to discuss that question is Mr. Michael Pregent, uh, a U.S. veteran and the senior fellow at the Hudson Institute and a former intelligence officer. He's got over 28 years experience working security, terrorism, counterinsurgency, policy issues in the Middle East, North Africa, and Southwest Asia. 
He's an expert in Middle East and North Africa political security issues, counterterrorism analysis, stakeholder communications, and strategic planning. Uh, Michael, welcome to The Rob Maynard Show, sir, and thanks for your service. Hey, well, thanks for having me, and thanks for your service as well. I appreciate uh, it. I appreciate your time, sir. You know, on this show, uh, on Mondays, we do what's called More War Mondays. So I've been talking a lot about the Iranians and uh, and everything since uh, October 7th, especially. But we've discussed them before. And uh, you saw the cold open video. If you look at the map in that video that CNN uh, was broadcasting there, it, it looks very familiar with what we see happening with the attacks both on Israel and U U.S. forces. Uh, in that area of the world, uh, you know, and the the administration keeps saying, well, there's no direct evidence of the Iranians behind this and all that, but they sure do look like they're following the pre-planned uh, uh, operational map that folks were predicting many years ago. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's interesting that the administration says there's no evidence of, of Iran's involvement. And then, then they actually admit what they're looking for. They're looking for a signals intercept from the supreme leader to the leader of Hamas to commence operations in Israel. We don't, we're not going to get that ever again. That's not how our enemy operates anymore. Gone are the days of the signals intercept that, that say that the wedding package is on its way, meaning the, the bomb is on its way. And we, uh, we're not as skilled as we used to be when it comes to human intelligence, developing sources. Uh, we burned a lot of sources during the Obama administration in Iran to secure the JCPOA. We gave up names to the IRGC of non-official covers, meaning U.S. sources inside of Iran that were looking at its nuclear program. And we have these recent uh, examples of betrayal from Afghanistan to Iraq to Syria and to these uh, sources we had in Iran that basically says the United States is a temporary ally. And in these moments, you know, we're looking at that video from, from the Trump administration after they, after they took out Qasem Soleimani, yep. the leader of Iran's uh, terrorism special operations force, right? The IRGC Quds Force. Well, Iran feared that administration. Iran does not fear this administration because they know it very well. It's the same people that Obama used to, to secure the JCPOA it's the same people that brought us ISIS. It's the same people. So this, they, they are looking at the Biden administration. They have a year left. They're looking at it as a permissive environment, meaning they believe they can do all they want to, get away with all they can during this next 12 months. And you're exactly right. This is exactly what war with Iran looks like. They'll use proxies. They'll turn up the temperature in hopes for U.S. acquiescence and U.S. concessions. And we're doing that. We're about ready to give them $10 billion uh, in Iraqi funds, which will be in the payment of euros, that will go directly to the IRGC and its Quds Force to fuel the same militias that are attacking American bases in Iraq and Syria. Oh, you beat me to it, sir. I was going to ask you, uh, I just heard uh, yesterday about another large sum in the millions of dollars that the Biden administration is going to hand over to the Iranians in the middle of all this. I mean, I mean you've, advised, you've advised these leaders at the highest forms of government, you know, highest levels of the U.S. government over the years, Mike. Uh, what 
What on earth are the advisors and the decision makers thinking about when we hear things like that come out in the media? It's you know it's true because they've done it before. What are they thinking? They believe that in order to keep the United States out of the Middle East, we need to empower Iran to take on Sunni extremism. So mm. they believe that if Iran was welcomed into the League of Nations, you know, into the international, uh, you know, I don't want to call it the good guy club, but they believe that if right. Iran is empowered, that they would keep us out of the Middle East. And it's the exact opposite. Iran is harboring al-Qaeda senior leadership right now. The next leader of al-Qaeda is probably in Iran. Hamas is a Sunni jihadist organization that Iran funds, that Iran directs, that Iran trains. Um, Iran has worked with the Taliban, another Sunni extremist group. Iran doesn't care if the cat is black or white as long as it kills Americans. And we've seen Tehran operate that way. This administration, uh, it's again, it's the same people. When Obama embraced Iran during the, Iraq, the JCPOA negotiations, it made it very difficult for Democrats to criticize Iran without somehow criticizing Obama's legacy issue, the JCPOA, the Iran deal. Right. And now we see the fruits of that. So when we hear the former president talk about, you know, we're all complicit and we need to look at both sides of this to see what the, the truths are. Well, the, the truth is that his administration, followed by the, uh, the Biden-Obama administration, uh, have continued to empower Iran to the point now where they've had an, an excess of almost $50 billion in, uh, in oil revenue sales that they weren't allowed uh, under the Trump administration. And now that we're, we're ready to give them an additional $10 billion and what's interesting about this, it's, it's Qatar that is securing these concessions for Iran. Well, let's think about those, those five uh, Iranian U.S. hostages that Iran took. And we basically gave Iran through Qatar. Of course, we're still trying to freeze those funds and not, get, not let them have access to it. Mm -hmm. We basically made the price of a, an American hostage uh, almost $1 billion ahead. Yeah. If you gave them $6 billion, for five Americans, exactly. and actually more than a billion, right? So how many Americans are now hostage, taken hostage by Hamas? And we keep a continue to allow Qatar to play the arsonist and the fireman in securing these funds. And, and I'd really like to talk about Qatar if we get a chance, on what they're not only doing with Hamas, but how they're continuing to donate money to American universities, American think tanks, and American politicians, unfortunately. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I want to go there because uh, later in the show, I want to talk about the potential for uh, large attacks inside the United States uh, that's, uh, that's really ramped up here in the, in the last uh, few days uh, and weeks since, uh, uh, since the war started in Israel and everything, Michael. The, the, uh, we've got a hand up over in our live spaces audience. I want to give the audience a chance to ask you a question or make a comment in each segment and everything. Uh, and it's always very educational for me to listen to the questions. Uh, and uh, they've been looking forward to hearing from an expert on Iran and counterterrorism and the Middle East that's been working at this for decades. So go ahead, Kat, uh, see a hand up. Is that Matt that's got his hand up? Yeah, go ahead, Matt. Yes, sir, uh, good information. Uh, what comes to mind with me is 
the funding that I see coming over and tra these training camps that we know exist. I'm hearing almost 80 now in the United States. First part of the question, second part. Remember when Barack Hussein Obama was in and the drone went down in Iran, and now we're seeing the technology coming out of Iran with drones being manufactured right out of Iran. Is that a coincidence? Was it on purpose or what we were told an incident? Thank you. That's a good question. I mean, Michael, I've heard about uh, Islamic training camps south of our border, uh, but uh, I mean, I guess it's it could be possible that there are training camps already inside the United States. I mean, we've seen other terrorist organizations uh, establish camps without being caught, too. Uh, but the, the interesting part of Matt's question there is about the drone technology. I'd be interested to hear your uh, feedback on that. What I, what I will say is um, the, the camps that we, that we do know about, that the IC knows about, are in Central and South America. Uh, the cells are in the United States. So we're aware of the cells. So we're not going to find uh, people on, uh, you know, you know, training out in the open in the United States when it yeah. comes to this. It's all, all, it's all in the dark. But the cells are here, and the cells are looking at the talent in these violent protests. And if you you watch some of these protests, uh, Al Qaeda, ISIS, Hamas, and Hezbollah are looking at the talent, and the talent is that yeah. that enraged, unwed military age male that is one degree away from violence. The one on the pole yanking down flags, the one on, you know, trying to storm the White House grounds. So they're looking at the talent and it's gonna be very easy for them to recruit these people and simply say, do you want, do you want some payback? Here's a couple weapons, here's a gathering, you know, like-minded people to do crazy things. When it comes to reverse technology, I mean, yes, of course our enemies do that. When they, when we lose something, we try to destroy it on the ground so that they cannot reverse engineer it. Uh, so that's that's likely, but we also have had, had, we've had the Biden administration and the Obama administration continue to, to allow Iran to skirt sanctions on technology, on the technology to improve their, their drones and their rockets and missiles. And the arms embargo ran out and uh, Russia and China didn't allow it to stay in place, the UN Security Council. So Iran yeah. is taking advantage of weakness across Europe, weakness here in the United States. They are a smart adversary. They're a smart enemy. They're a deadly enemy, and they'll become deadlier with with the more technology and the, the you know that they acquire. And yeah. we're we continue to look the other way. The prisoners that we exchanged for those six those five Americans, we're there. Bomb techs, where there are people that were, were, you know, procuring military hardware and technology to improve Iran's nuclear and ballistic missile capability. Wow. We traded a, a Russian arms dealer for a basketball player. You know, we do this. We shouldn't be doing these things. We did that with Russia. We did that with Putin. But we have a very smart adversary that has had the same foreign policy going back 44 years, like you said. And our foreign policy, our our consistency wavers every two to four years. So this yeah. is that permissive environment. This is that open window where our adversaries are taking advantage of what they see as a very weak, distracted, and unfocused administration. And they're acting as we predicted all along, they would act. I mean, it's almost following, the, it's almost as if Mike Pompeo gave them the damn playbook when you look at that CNN video from 
uh, three years ago really? after we killed Soleimani. Well, Mike, I've got to uh, I've got to do an ad read real quick, so stay right there. We'll be right back. When we come back, we'll show a little video clip about the attacks. But the end of the clip is what I want people to hear uh, about the beyond the Middle East. Uh, so listen up, folks. Bidenomics is not working. The U.S. dollar is losing value, and your hard-earned savings are at risk. You can act now before it's too late with one straightforward, entirely legal tax loophole. Contact my friends at American Alternative Assets for a free wealth protection guide. Learn how to safeguard your wealth from a failing dollar and volatile markets with gold and silver IRAs. Dial 833-2USA-GOLD. That's 833-287-2465. Or visit protectfrombiden.com. Welcome back to the Rob Mena Show. Uh, today we're uh, talking with uh, Michael Pregent, uh, who is a U.S. veteran, has been in the counterintelligence uh, and, uh, and working in the Middle East and advising our government leaders and decision makers at the highest levels for over 28 years and uh, is a, a senior fellow from the Hudson Institute. And again, thank you, Michael, for spending so much time with us. Uh, let's see that second clip two there, Disco, before we move on. Tonight, the U.S. announcing new airstrikes in eastern Syria, targeting a training facility and a safe house used by Iranian-affiliated groups. The attacks come just four days after the U.S. launched this airstrike on a weapons facility. And after hitting other targets on October 26th, all of the strikes in Syria. Um, we have been very clear to countries in the region that we are incredibly keen on ensuring that this conflict does not spread. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin in a statement saying the U.S. will defend itself and its personnel. It's the latest response from the Pentagon to a spike in attacks from Iranian-backed groups on U.S. forces. There have been at least 47 attacks on U.S. bases in Iraq and Syria since October 17th. Since then, at least one American has died of a heart attack, with at least 56 others suffering minor injuries. These strikes come on the same day the Pentagon announced five U.S. service members were killed in a helicopter crash while training. The accident happened here in the eastern Mediterranean, just off the coast of Cyprus. The Pentagon not releasing a lot of details, but says the helicopter was undergoing a routine refueling mission during training when it somehow suffered a mishap, causing it to crash. Search and rescue efforts began immediately. And Megan's with me. Megan, the Pentagon suggesting this may not be the last retaliatory strike. Kate, that's right. The Pentagon has emphasized that the U.S. will not hesitate to take what they're calling further necessary measures if these attacks by Iranian-backed groups continue. Kate. Thanks for watching. Stay updated about breaking news and top stories on the NBC News. I wanted to show that video because we've been talking a lot about the U.S. response to these attacks over the last few weeks and how they've been, in my opinion, as an air guy. Okay, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, uh, a an air operations guy. They've been like tit for tat, not striking the right targets, not hitting hard enough uh, to put a stop to the attacks, and that's continued. That video is from yesterday, uh, less than 24 hours ago. So, you know, it's over 60 attacks, as, as they mentioned, and uh, we keep going after things like weapons caches and all that uh, and in these onesie-twosie strikes. And I just wanted to get your take on that because, I mean, my gut tells me that any enemy, no matter what, who they are, uh, is going to look at that and go, well, they're not really serious. We can do this for years, uh, but this enemy in particular 
uh, is looks at that as weakness, and they're going to continue to to actually ramp up what they're doing, and they have really. This is um, this is something that uh, a guy named Brett McGurk. I don't know if you know who Brett McGurk is, but he was our ISIS czar. I remember him under Obama, and then Trump kept yeah. him for some reason. But he worked with General Mattis, and it was their policy to warn these militias before an airstrike to, to vacate the area so that we could destroy empty buildings, somehow sending a deterrence message. So that practice continued. And Brett McGurk is in this current administration now. Is that on my side? or There's a uh, sound in the background. Let me see here. It's beautiful. It's the national anthem. <laughs> but... but Okay, sorry about that. It's a national anthem, so that's beautiful. But yeah, uh, Britain would actually anyway, go uh, ahead. He's still in charge of the Middle East desk. He's still our closest guy that deals with Iraq. And mm -hmm. it's his practice to call the prime minister in Baghdad to warn uh, the militias that we're about to conduct an attack. So it, it, your audience should know that we usually conduct attacks on two places along the Iraqi-Syrian border, Al-Tanaf crossing, and the Abu Kamal crossing, both manned by Kitab Hezbollah and some other militias. These are militias that were created during the, the U.S. Uh, uh, campaign inside of Iraq, Operation uh, Iraqi Freedom. And we warn them through the prime minister's office that they should leave the building or the, air, the little camp that we're about to hit. And uh, I was very critical of this. So I, I, I put up a post when there were only 22 attacks saying, uh, defending our troops means shooting down missiles and drones. That's not how you defend our troops. Defending our troops is killing the bastards to just launch the rockets and the drones and the missiles at our exactly. base. And that's not a practice that they're willing to put in place yet. And I also said, listen, if we're hitting these weapons caches, we should see some secondary explosions. That video you showed is the first time this administration has shown video of a secondary explosion after hitting yep. some. And we apparently killed six militiamen, uh, Iran-backed militiamen. And I'm wondering if they're going to say it was an accident. Hey, that Brett McCurk is not going to call the prime minister of Iraq and say, sorry about those six Iraqis that were killed. We warned you that we were going to hit that building. Because deterrence yep. only works when your enemy fears your commander-in-chief. And our enemy does not fear our commander-in-chief. It does not fear this administration. And you, when you hear the language of, of Secretary Austin, when he says, we're gonna do everything to defend our troops, that, that means shooting down rockets, missiles, and drones, and hitting empty buildings or weapons caches. If you wanted to send a deterrence message to Hezbollah, to Hamas, and to Tehran, you hit the Iraqi militias. You hit them inside of Iraq. They, the majority of those bases that have been attacked have been inside of Iraq, and this administration has not um, conducted any strikes inside of Iraq, only along the border. And of course, Syria remains a free fire zone for killing anyone, anything that moves. So in order to send that deterrence message to Hezbollah, you need to hit the low-hanging fruit. The low-hanging fruit are those Iraqi militias. And yeah. you know, our troops are in Iraq to defend against a return or prevent a return of ISIS. But right. ISIS is attacking our troops. It's these militias backed by Iran that are attacking our troops. So this administration is, is just so weak that our adversaries are, are not fearful at all. Yeah, and they've completely misread what's happening. You know, deterrence 
failed. That's what happened uh, on October 7th and, in, and beyond with these attacks on U.S. forces. To reestablish deterrence, Mike, you have to go with much more overwhelming force than you would ordinarily. Uh, I mean, it's as, it's, as if, uh, it's as if the leadership in the United States is living in uh, five to 10 years ago in this part of the world instead of up to today, and after, especially after October 7th. Deterrence failed. In order to reestablish it and to and to protect our forces, you got to hit them. You got to hit them hard, and you got to kill some of them or all of them if you can, really, to to get that to happen. Is what I'm yeah, hearing you, you say. Exactly. Yeah, you, you have to go big, right? This yeah. is a message to Russia and China. Uh, you have to go big. So Ronald Reagan, through Operation Praying Mantis in 1988, uh, destroyed half of Iran's navy, mm-hmm. and it went back down. And President Trump took out Qasem Soleimani, who I would argue was the equivalent of Iran's navy. He was that important. And they backed down. They did a safe face attack on an empty side of a base uh, uh, in order to off-ramp. We knew it was coming. We got our our soldiers on one side. They hit the other side with precision missiles. And and, and still, we should have retaliated once our soldiers uh, suffered those traumatic brain injuries. And that's what's happening now. We have, what, 42, 50 Americans that have been injured. And what that media piece didn't say is that those were traumatic brain injuries. Those were concussions. Exactly. That's going to have consequences in the future. So we have to go big. I would argue that in order to make all this stop, Iran has to feel pain. And the Iranian people, the ones that have been protesting against this horrible regime, are not going to be upset if the United States hits IRGC positions inside of Iran or regime uh, infrastructure inside of Iran. And that's probably what it's going to take to, in order to off-ramp this. Yeah, so so uh, am I hearing you say that uh, Lindsey Graham's idea to bomb their, uh, their petroleum ports uh, and everything uh, is uh, the way that we're probably going to have to go in order to reestablish deterrence. Something I mean, like you that. Know, Lin- Lindsey Graham has always ta- talked a tough response. You know, he's always he's always yeah. done that. Uh, uh-huh. And you know, if we had the Lindsey Graham foreign policy in place uh, right now, I mean, I, I agree with the idea. I just don't like the messenger, so to speak, uh, yeah. because he'd be the same guy behind closed doors saying we shouldn't do it. Uh, yeah, and that's just yeah, my, and, uh, experience, my experience uh, with McCall uh, and Lindsey Graham. Are they both I'm not, very I'm not a big fan of his, uh, of his national security and foreign policy ideas, uh, quite frankly, uh, because his timing is usually way too early or way too late. <laughs> you know, I mean, th- there is a process to this and a methodology to this that if it's done right, you can be successful and not end up inflaming the entire world in a, in another war, world war, or opening another front in in the war that's already going on in Eastern Europe. Uh, and Lindsey Graham usually his his approach is going to get you to the opposite of that. <laughs> but but you may be right. I mean I mean we may be we may have let it go to the point where we have to do this uh, in a much bigger way. Well, we definitely have to do more than what we're doing. There's no doubt about that. I've been saying that for weeks, ever since the first attacks, okay. that, it, that it's been a pitiful response. Uh, and uh, they can say they're protecting our forces all they want. They're really not. They're putting them in more danger, Mike. 
you know, and, right. and as you know that. Uh, well, let's uh, take a hand from the audience and uh, uh, and see what they've got to say and ask before we go to our next break. Uh, go ahead, Kat. Yeah, I'm going to go out of order. Go ahead, AJ. Uh, thanks again for the mic. I'll be very, very quick. Uh, the question is regarding uh, Hamza bin Laden. During the time that the United States was hunting down Osama bin Laden, Hamza bin Laden was living in Iran with safety assurances and basically away from the uh, U.S. hands. Now, this information is about 18 months to 24 months old, but I have an intelligence report on it, and I can share if needed. But Hamza bin Laden has been moved from Iran into Afghanistan under the protection of Taliban. The question is this, is it beyond the realm of possibilities in the tit-for-tat uh, reasonings that Iran would uh, mobilize Afghanistani Taliban in order to enter Iraq to hurt the American interests and uh, uh, soldiers and embassy there is? With that, I yield my time. Thank you. Thanks, AJ. Go ahead, Michael. So, so the, Iran has ties to the Fatamayun, that's the, uh, the Afghan Shia inside of Afghanistan that they've deployed to Syria, and they've used in Iraq. And the Fatamayun, which are closely uh, tied to the IRGC, would, would be deployed before the Taliban. Now, the Taliban has expressed interest in participating in any greater conflict with Israel. So those things do stand, and the IRGC uh, maintains close relationships with both groups. We have to remember the current IRGC leader who replaced Qasem Soleimani, his name is Ismail Khani. He actually had the Afghanistan portfolio before Soleimani died. Uh, okay. Soleimani had the Levant and Iraq, and uh, Khani had uh, Afghanistan and Pakistan. So, absolutely. Iran will fight to the last Arab. Iran will fight to last Afghan. It rarely puts their own people at risk. And in the advisory role, we have seen some Quds Force officers killed in airstrikes, not only by um, U.S. forces inside of Syria during the ISIS campaign, but also by the Israeli Defense Forces inside of Syria. So there are generals that have died on the battlefield, but they were advising Arabs. And they will continue to fight to the last Arab, and they actually look down on the Arab in a lot of ways. And a lot of Arabs don't know that or want to ignore that or deny that. But these Shia militia groups, to them, they, they were willing to sacrifice the leaders of several uh, Iraqi militias after we took out Qasem Soleimani. In those hours that followed the targeting of Qasem Soleimani and Abu Mehdi al-Mohandas, the IRGC and Tehran were willing to off-ramp with the United States by saying, listen, how about we give you these four or five militia leaders inside of Iraq and we, we just call it a day? So the Iraqi militias need to know that, that Iran views them as expendable, that they are cannon fodder. And Hezbollah knows that, Nasrallah knows that. Nasrallah, when Iran was weak under the Trump administration, Nasrallah, the leader of Hezbollah, was very cautious to get himself involved in, in the Israel fight because they had lost so much credibility with the Lebanese people after supporting Assad in Syria. So Nasrallah is, is, is calculating, he's waiting. But if he sees a weak U.S. response, and we're already hearing language out of Washington, D.C., that maybe Israel should wrap this up, maybe this is enough, maybe if Israel continues, we won't, we won't support them. That is green light chaos language to Hezbollah. 
That is green light chaos language to Iran to continue to ramp up the pressure to get what you want. And that's that's the dangerous place we are right now. It sure is, Michael. Well, we've got to take our next commercial break, but when we come back, uh, you uh, beat me to it again. Uh, you'll see a little video clip about Hezbollah and Lebanon and what's going on over there. I'm Rob Manus here on the Red Voice Media Network, where we bring you the facts and the truth, whether you like it or not. We'll be right back after these messages. How in the world could such a small group of people with limited resources change world history? But in fact, that's happening, and it's the power of the truth. The truth is like kryptonite. Healthcare isn't, in some sense, working very well. Foster Colson is thinking about this. He's got a new company, an online healthcare platform called The Wellness Company. Telehealth company called The Wellness Company. The Wellness Company. TWC.health is The Wellness Company. The most popular product is the detoxification supplement that features natokinase. Natokinase is the only enzyme that we're aware of right now that dissolves the spike protein. Spike protein is loaded in the body with the COVID-19 infection and definitely with the vaccines. We've been completely accurate on the spread of the virus, early treatment, on the deficiencies in hospital care, and now the deaths that are occurring after vaccination. This is a human outrage and it's occurring at the end of a hypodermic needle. Isn't it interesting? Natural substance is combating this man-made disaster. Welcome to a minute of global insight. The Iranian-backed Iraqi militia, Kataib Hezbollah, stirs the pot, threatening to escalate attacks against U.S. forces. Not only that, they've put a bullseye on U.S. regional interests all ahead of a particularly interesting time. Secretary Blinken's visit to Iraq, now for a shift in focus. On a recent call, Iranian Foreign Affairs Minister Hossein Amir Abdullahian conversed with his Iraqi counterpart, Fuad Hossein. The topic, the Israel-Hamas war. These conversations and threats, they're pieces of a larger puzzle, a chess game on the global stage. Every move matters, every word carries weight. Remember, knowledge is power, and understanding these moves on the global chessboard keeps us one step ahead. Join us again for your next 60 seconds of global insight. In the Middle East and beyond the Middle East, really, uh, with Michael Pregent, uh, who's a 28-year uh, experienced and veteran uh, intelligence officer and senior fellow at the Hudson Institute that's an expert in this part of the world and in the counterterrorism and terrorism uh, activities that need to go along with uh, fighting these people. Well, well Michael, uh, you know, that, that was a little Hezbollah uh, clip there, and we see uh, that was from a few weeks ago, uh, so just before Blinken's trip into Iraq. And uh, But we see now today that Hezbollah is continuing to ratchet up its activities in northern Israel uh, right now, and Israel has had to respond uh, uh, in a much bigger way than it was originally with just artillery and, and the occasional uh, mortar firing and drone strike uh, at specific positions. Do you think right. they're going to get in? 
Well, I know what they can do. I mean, this is a this is the premier terrorist army in the Middle East, Lebanese Hezbollah. Mm-hmm. And they have their factions like Kitab Hezbollah in the video that are in Iraq threatening American forces. They're in Syria and, and they're joining. They want to join the fight. They are the only terrorist, and I call them a terrorist army because they can operate at the battalion, at the brigade, and at the division level with combined arms operations. They they can support a ground force as it moves towards an objective. They can hit strategic uh, targets deep in, in sector, meaning they can hit anywhere in Israel. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are the premier terrorist army in in the region. They're more capable than Al-Qaeda, they're more capable than ISIS, and they are a, a, a almost a, a, a terrorist military. And in that, Israel is prepared. Israel is prepared to decimate uh, Lebanese Hezbollah, safe houses, command centers, uh, weapons depots. One of the things I love about the Israelis is that they'll show Nasrallah and other Lebanese leaders what will be targeted during a IDF campaign against Hezbollah. So they'll yeah. show the house, the mistress. They'll show the grandma's house. They'll show their their weekend getaway. They'll show their favorite restaurant. They'll show these places that will no longer exist if Hezbollah continues. And those yeah. are the things that matter, right? When you take that away from the leadership, when you look at Hamas and look at the two top leaders, one's worth $4 billion, the other one's worth $6 billion. These are the same leaders in Hezbollah that have amassed this wealth on the backs of the poor in Lebanon that don't want their getaways taken away. Yeah. And Israel puts them at the top of the targeting list. We're going to hit weapons depots. We're going to hit these, these communications, command and control structures, and we're going to hit your villa. And we're going to hit your mistress's villa. And we're going to do this and that. And those are the messages that work. And it's something Pompeo took to Korea, to North Korea, to show mm-hmm. Kim Jong-il what would happen to him uh, if he continued. Um, anyway, yeah. there is a, a rich target packet, and it's, it's a deterrence uh, technique, because if those 150,000 rockets and missiles were launched towards Israel, the Iron Dome wouldn't be able to stop it. It would have to right. be very selective take out the ones that are going towards population centers. And then once the bio, once the Iron Dome was exhausted, Lebanese Hezbollah would use precision uh, rockets and missiles to hit specific military targets. And right. it, would, it would decimate Israel's capabilities. So there's the option of being preemptive in taking all of these positions out simultaneously in mm-hmm. Lebanon, which you can't, you can't do, unfortunately, but it'd be enough of a message but sometimes the message of what they're going to lose in this exchange uh, is enough of a deterrence because Hezbollah believes the IDF when they say, we will do this if you do anything. Well, they should. Iran doesn't believe it when the United States, when the United States says don't. You know, when the president says don't, do not, that, that doesn't mean anything to Tehran. When the Israelis say it, it no something. That our uh, that our people are sending that type of message to the leadership, either in Iran, Hezbollah, Hamas. I mean, obviously, the Hamas guy. Uh, uh, I think he lives in Qatar, doesn't he, or something like that. And uh, that uh, you know, we could go after that 
but no, uh, we're not going to even threaten to go after that, uh, and and we should. I wanted to ask you because you mentioned it uh, uh, before the break, Michael, about the the Iranians uh, that love freedom inside the country. I mean, all this stuff's going on outside of the country of Iran. And we know that there have been uprisings over the years uh, from the freedom-loving people that still live in Iran. There are dissident groups. Uh, uh, I've had a couple of their representatives on my show before uh, and uh, stay in contact with them and everything uh, that, uh, that really are fairly well organized. Uh, you know, but how do they survive? Uh, and why haven't we taken the appropriate steps to to give that movement or help give it the energy that it might need to uh, to overtake that government that operates uh, in their name? This movement is asking us to do two things: do not do not provide sanctions relief to Tehran, to keep the maximum pressure campaign in place because it's hurting the regime, yeah. and and to. Sh- put a spotlight on what the regime is doing. You know, and, and think about what Western media could do if it actually paid attention to the atrocities taking place in Iran. Mm-hmm. But our media won't do that. You know, how many how many homosexuals are, are hung uh, by this regime uh, simply for being homosexual and the media could care less? And they publicly display their, their executions and the media won't cover it. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's as though Iran gets a pass, which brings me back to the Hamas leader in Doha, right? So if the administration is saying, oh, there's no ties, we have no evidence that Iran is responsible for any of this, well, then why don't we just take out this Sunni terrorist leader? We'd have no problem if that was Baghdadi of ISIS. We'd have no problem right. if that was Osama bin Laden. We'd have no problem if that, if that was Zawahiri. So why don't we take this guy out? because this administration knows that Iran would be upset about it because he, he is an Iranian proxy. He uh-huh. is tied to Iran's direct funding. Iran is responsible for 90% of Hamas's funding. Yep. And a lot of that funding goes through Qatar in order to get to Hamas. And That's Qatar, true. you know, the John Wick movie, right? Qatar is the Continental Hotel. It, it hosts a U.S. base, and then it hosts terrorist groups. Right, and we don't know about that. We need to take that leverage away from Qatar. We need to move our U.S. base to Bahrain, in addition to our Navy uh, base that's already there. Uh, move that base somewhere else and take that leverage away from Qatar and get that money out of our universities. Because as all these Jewish donors threaten to withhold money to Columbia University, to Harvard, to New York University, the Qataris are flooding those universities with money. You know what that means? It means the universities aren't going to be able to tamp down on these protests. It means the universities yeah. aren't going to need to worry about the loss of revenue from Jewish donors because it will be supplanted by the Qataris. The Qataris, yeah. I'm in D.C., I'm in Washington, D.C., and the think tanks that are experts on th- these two issues are silent. They're silent because a lot of those think tanks take Qatari money. That needs to stop because Qatar cannot fund Hamas and fund our think tanks and universities in order to keep critics silent or to basically mobilize these students uh, into these causes that they don't even understand, not knowing that Hamas kills non-believers, 
not knowing that Hamas kills atheists, not knowing that Hamas will kill every letter in the LGBTQ uh, grouping. They don't know that. They're, they're, they don't know it, and we need to get them to off-ramp this crazy movement because this is the movement that is the most dangerous to this country. These are, oh, these are protesters and jihadists in these protests, not everyone, but the, but the ones that are one degree away from violence. Al-Qaeda is watching them, ISIS is watching them, Hamas is watching them, and they're going to recruit the talent. And you and I have both been taught to think like the enemy throughout our career. What would the enemy do? I know what I would do if I was a terrorist leader. I'd recruit the talent. And that's where we are now. And you know that these DAs aren't going to prosecute anybody. They're going to release them. You know that we have an open border, so these unwed military-age males can continue to pour into the country. And we know this administration uh, cannot look serious to our adversaries when these same protesters are trying to climb over the White House gates. You know, what does that say about our embassies in Iraq? Our embassy in Beirut, our embassy in these other places, they're vulnerable because if they you are. allow these protesters to be able to storm the White House gate, they weren't able to get over it. Hopefully, Secret Service would have done something had, had they done that. But it makes our embassies, our embassies very vulnerable. And remember, this is where Iran specializes, you know, with the 1979 seizing of the U.S. embassy. This is what Iran knows. This is in the playbook take American hostages in order to gain concessions. And this Biden White House are experts at that. Fell right into it. You know, and I'm going to make a prediction, Michael, that the violence will come when it comes to America in the name of Hamas or Iran or whatever Islamic name they want to give to it from a group perspective. It's going to be done by the LGBTQ plus I transgender terrorist community that we've already seen activated in this country on their own to be prone to violence against Christians uh, and white people and those kind of things like we saw with the Nashville shooter. They're the ones that are the most useful, abuseful idiots to this movement uh, that's coming to this country and is really already inside this country. So that's my prediction. Well, let's go over and get one question and then take our next, our final break and then come back. Uh, go ahead, Kat. I, I know there are hands up over there. Yeah, go ahead, proud niece. Okay, so quick question. I'm obviously in Ireland hoping to relocate to America within the next 12 to 18 months. But uh, anyway, uh, my question is this. We've seen some lone wolf Islamic attacks in Ireland over the last few years. We had two homosexual men and a third, uh, two were killed. The third was attacked, stabbed through the eye. Um, he has survived, but he's obviously blinded now in one eye for the rest of his life and uh, suffers horrendous pain. Um, there was a Japanese man innocently killed by another that came over from United Kingdom. Um, I believe he had a failed asylum claim in the UK and somehow ended up in Dundalk, but stabbed an innocent Japanese man and attempted to stab two others. Now, supposedly that guy was sectioned. We've heard no more. The media went completely quiet. There is no update or anything else like that. Um, my question is this. What are the possibilities, given that Ireland is supposedly neutral, and now they're saying that we can <clears throat> no longer remain neutral because we are part of the EU? What is the possibility or what is the likelihood, given a lot of the Muslims that have moved into Ireland, 
and a mosque in Dublin called Fonski with ties to the Islamic Brotherhood. Um, the likelihood of Islamic attacks on Irish soil, is that something that is possibility realistic or am I clutching at straws? I um I would say that if you listen to the imams in these mosques in the in the U.S. and and everywhere in Europe, they constantly say that our goal is to raise uh, you know the the jihadist flag over the capital of each one of these countries. Uh, what I like about being from Texas and what I like about you being from Ireland is there are a bunch of uh, beer drinking. I can allow that to happen, and. You know, there, we have a natural instinct to, to look at danger, a natural instinct to, I'll say it, profile, profile violence or potential, uh, you know, violent actors. I think that this whole wave of, of people that have come to Europe and the United States, believing that they are owed something once they get here, uh, they're ripe for recruitment. They're ripe for recruitment for these terrorist organizations. So I would hope that Irish uh, local law enforcement, along with the intelligence community, is looking at any potential cells that are operating. There's always going to be the threat of a lone wolf, somebody who just picks up a weapon or commits violence. Mm -hmm. It's it's when those when that lone wolf can tie himself to something. Meaning, I did this in the name of Hamas, or I did this in the name of ISIS. That that behavior is repeated by others. Others want to join that same movement, right? It's it's a random, crazy person that now believes they're part of something bigger. I'm fighting for the for the Palestinians. I'm I'm fighting for a free Gaza. So that's always going to be a danger. Okay. And uh, you just got to you have to stay vigilant. You have to know who you're around and vary your patterns. But also, the people that aren't paying attention. Uh, they're the best. The people that aren't paying attention, when they are paying attention, they're your best defense. So we need to get people knowledgeable on these threats and, and paying attention because there are a lot of people in the United States, and Colonel Manis, you know this, there are a lot of veterans, Second Amendment people in the United States that are just watching, waiting for the government to do something, and, right. and waiting for this to start popping up in the wrong places of this country. Unfortunately, our government will probably mobilize against them instead of the threat. If the, yep. the government doesn't, doesn't take action and identify the violent actors within these movements, then the violent acts will actually increase and, and result right. in, in, in deaths. And we're seeing that in the, in the U.S. You know, we've, we've had uh, you know, maybe a handful of, of deaths by you know from these riots, maybe two or three, shouldn't say a handful, but that is alarming because that crowd is one degree away from violence. When they see yeah. somebody by themselves, somebody somebody who looks like a victim, they're they're ready to corner them. They're ready to go violent, and and that I fear is is probably the case. Just for two seconds. Let me let me go to a break. I've got to go to a break here, Michael. When we come back, we'll t we'll continue this discussion about the internal security of both Ireland and the United States because that's what the last segment is uh, dedicated to. So. I'm Rob Manus. We're talking with Michael Pregent and our live audience on Spaces here about the terrorist threat from what's going on in the Middle East right now and the Iranians. We'll be right back after these messages. 
Attention Americans, breaking news. Biden's dangerous plan for a digital dollar is underway. Don't be fooled. It won't benefit you. Take action now. The Federal Reserve phased deployment of FedNow began on July 1st, 2023. Be prepared. This may catch many off guard. Your hard-earned assets are in jeopardy. But there's a simple legal tax loophole to opt out of the digital dollar. Reach out to American Alternative Assets for a free wealth protection guide and discover how to safeguard your wealth with gold and silver IRAs against a failing dollar and volatile markets. Visit protectfrombiden.com. This invaluable guide provides precise steps to transfer your IRA or 401k into precious metals without any tax consequences. Be smart. Don't let Biden force you into using the government's new digital dollar. Visit protectfrombiden.com to get your free guide and get started. Again, that's protectfrombiden.com. Israel is not the only country with border security issues. The insecurity of our own southern border has been well documented. What is less well documented is who exactly is crossing that southern border. Kansas Senator Roger Marshall wants federal agencies to disclose the number of terrorist encounters at our border. That seems like pretty reasonable, I think, doesn't it? Senator Marshall joins us now. Senator, thank you. Who in the world could object to knowing whether terrorists are trying to cross our borders. I mean, what is the argument against that? Well, Trey, we have an incompetent secretary of DHS, and, and of course, Joe Biden wants this open border. But it's a sad day when our enemies pay more attention to our border than our own president does. You know, to your point, we've encountered over 170 uh, terrorists on the terrorist watch list uh, in the past year. In the past two years, uh, thousands of people on the alien watch list as well. 2,000 Chinese nationalists on this watch list as well across the border as well. All we're asking DHS to do is tell us where these people are, who they are, what they're doing. Are they still in the country? Were they caught and released? We don't want to be asleep at the wheel like Israel was when Hamas attacked Israel. On in the the terrorist power that they wield, not only in the Middle East, but uh, but across the world. And, uh, and this last segment is dedicated. We started that discussion a little bit uh, with Michael Pregent before the break about the internal security of uh, the United States, uh, countries like Ireland, uh, the, the EU countries that have had these wide open uh, immigration policies from the Middle East. And they basically uh, almost replace their populations with people that don't believe in their values and their government uh, uh, and those kind of things. And they, they say it, you brought it up before the break, Michael, they say it from the mosque all the time, including in this country. Uh, are you as concerned as I am about it, this wide open southern border? I mean, I've known about the, uh, the Islamist uh, activity in South America uh, since uh, just past 9-11, uh, when I was working on the, in the joint staff on the Pentagon, putting the plan together to respond for that, uh, I know we're tracking on them, but they have to have some impact on all of these tens of thousands, millions, really, of people that
that come up to the southern border up through the Panama Canal, uh, the Darien Gap in Panama, and up all the way up through the other countries. So terrorism is fungible like money. It can just be passed on and trained and everything. And I'm very concerned about what's in our country right now and what right. they're going to do. Well, absolutely. I mean, the uh, IC, the intelligence community, and local law enforcement are overwhelmed. Uh, federal law enforcement, they're already overwhelmed. And if you look at the majority of the people crossing the border, they're unwed military-aged male. Yeah. Men. That doesn't mean they're trained by the military. That doesn't mean they're in, you know, they used they were in the military, but what it means is you are we are letting a bunch of unwed military-aged men come into this country who think they're owed something, who could be easily triggered to 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 commit violence by a terrorist leader. And that doesn't mean everyone, that just means you need 10. 10 out of 10 out of a thousand, you know, hundred out of ten thousand. And it's that simple. That's how these cells operate. Uh, yeah. Very concerned. Uh, in my time in Iraq in 2005, we found an al-Qaeda manual saying, hey, cross the U.S. border and pretend you're Mexican. Start learning Spanish so the Border Patrol doesn't know who you are. And this was an al-Qaeda manual on how to conduct terrorist operations in the United States. We now know that you know there's a lot of gotaways. So the Border Patrol now space pays special attention to Middle Eastern crossers, people that are crossing the border. But the runaways, we don't even know who the runaways are. There was like 1.5 million runaways or gotaways. And um, it's, very, it's very concerning because we're not focused on it. Our military isn't focused on it. Our intelligence agencies aren't focused on it. And you contrast that with the FBI and counterterrorism forces are looking for a potential January 6th, uh, you know, person that may or may not have been there in uh, New Jersey. Yeah. You contra contrast that focus, right, that focus and that energy to go after a, a someone who was there on January 6th. And if they committed violence, then, then, then that's that's fine. If they were if they were a bad guy, that, that's fine. But ignoring everything else ignoring everything else to the point where you believe that if you want to focus on China, you focus on China in China's region. No, China's already here. You want to yeah. focus on terrorism, you focus on it over there in the Middle East. No, it's here. It is. We yeah. have to focus here and we're not. So it's about time to, instead of getting the intelligence community and our law enforcement to go after political parties in the United States, they might want to start going after the threat. We need to start federalizing the the IC and our military to look at protecting the homeland. Because you have unwed military-aged males. And what I'm saying, when I, when I keep saying unwed, is I'm okay, I'm from El Paso, Texas. I'm okay with a family, you know, husband and wife and two kids coming over and saying, we just want a better life. We want to learn right. the language. We want to succeed we want to be part of this this dream as opposed to the guy that's flipping you off as he crosses the border and says i'm just gonna i'm just gonna wreak havoc while i'm here i'm gonna do yeah. whatever i want and that's what we got to pay attention to uh, yeah. because you know, we're the target yeah sorry to talk along there that's all right well thank you so much for spending this time with us michael that's the end of the show and that's the best place to leave it this the u.s government needs to be focused on actual terrorists inside our borders, man. I've had your uh, stuff up the entire show so people know where to find you out on X. 
And you can also go to the Hudson Institute's uh, website to find Michael Friesen. Uh, well, thank you so me. much, sir. We appreciate thank you, sir. it. Well, folks, tomorrow is Whistleblower Wednesday, and we've got the Whistleblower Whistleblowers, the man that's running against Kevin McCarthy in California that is going to spend the whole hour with us, uh, David Giglio, and uh, we look forward to having him over here. Hope you enjoyed the show today. I'll see you in the after uh, space there, but Tucker is still at. <laughs>